right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another rousing rendition of the Brethren Podcast and what we like to call our cocktail combos. And we have a special guest uh, on with us tonight. But let me first run down this illustrious uh, resume. We have the pleasure of uh, speaking with and picking the brain of uh, Ms. Courtney Richardson Esquire. If you don't know what Esquire means, that means she is a, a lawyer uh, and She's an attorney, an extensive background in law, in finance, in investments, and the founder and creator of the Ivy Investor. We'll find out why. Uh, and she hails from the Philadelphia area. Um, so please welcome to the Cocktail Conversation, Miss Courtney Richardson Esquire. How are you doing this evening? I'm good. I want to just make one correction. I am from Philadelphia. Okay. Philadelphia, not even the Philadelphia area. All right. Okay. Some All people right. <laughs> Philly or Philadelphia area. They live in Delaware County. I live in Philadelphia County, which is also a city. I've lived here since I was little. I just want to clarify because some oh. people want to say something about Philly. They need to get <laughs> All right. We have established that you are from Philly. We ain't even oh. no no outskirts. It's no this okay. That's the block. We got that. All right. <laughs> um but before we dive into it, we do call this Cocktail Conversations. It's not a requirement for our guests, but it is a requirement for us. Uh, and also, shout out to my uh, my co-host, uh, Mr. Different Wells, and Dr. Ajamu Lovin, PhD, CFP. Uh, shout out to you gentlemen. But uh, we always take a cheers before this. is for knowledge being dropped, bread being baked, and crumbs being dropped, and somebody can hopefully pick them up. Cheers to a wonderful conversation. All right. Now I've done I've done a little bit of research on you. Okay. Uh, this year, we're gonna bounce around to a lot of topics because your, like I said, your resume is extensive and you you have a wealth of knowledge. This year, recently, you were appointed to the Pennsylvania Intergovernmental Corporation Authority Board. Um, but the part that I want to really get to is that this is not your first foray into public service. You've you've had a couple of different career paths, I would like to say. But so so this this new appointment because I, I believe it happened in, in March. Um, what 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 brought that about? So first of all, um, Inspector Gadget. <laughs> <laughs> So interesting enough, that's so funny. I actually never talk about that on social media. That's, I mean, it's it's around, but it's mm -hmm. not prominent. So you really were doing some real digging. So um, how it came about is that I was asked by um, House Minority Leader of the Pennsylvania um, House, um, Joanna McClinton, uh, to serve on the Pennsylvania uh, Intergovernmental Cooperation Authority Board. Um, this board actually serves as a oversight organization for the city of Philadelphia. It was created in the 1990s when Philadelphia was going through a very tough time financially. And it was a question of terms of survival in terms of the city filing bankruptcy and having other financial um, and fiscal problems. So we were appointed. Um, so PICA was, it was called PICA. So PICA was created and it's been in existence for the last 20 years, um, part in part and parcel related to a series of bond funding to kind of help um, increase the, the level of funding in the city. 
um, actually our tenure is almost up. So that is being presented to the um, to the House and to the Senate of Pennsylvania for an extenuation of this um, of the board because you know as we know with COVID mm-hmm. um, and American Rescue Fund plan fund money, it's just that it seems that there might need to be some oversight continued. As we kind of work through this uncertainty during COVID, unfortunately, this is a once in a lifetime pandemic and situation, and it just really requires a lot of hands on deck. So we we really think that PICA can really help um, spearhead that that when it comes, because we're just really checking work because budget and finance, they actually really do the heavy lifting. But we do do a lot of economic trending just to make sure that what's being what's on paper makes sense today, but it makes sense for five years. So we always are consistently approving the city's five year plan. And um, and that may change because we have multiple unions mm-hmm. and we've actually did do um, an approval relatively recently about the new five year plan because there was um, a new um, arbitration or a new contract with a few of the unions that was came up, I guess, maybe like a couple of months ago, and we just wanted to adjust the plan to make sure that it continued to make sense and we still have a viable city. So I asked that question because I'm I'm, I'm basically letting, like, letting you build your resume for, for, for the listeners because I want people to understand how truly qualified you are in several different, several different realms, uh, specifically in terms of finance, investing, and laws pertaining to those things. So you because um right now um financial education, financial literacy, financial freedom is trendy. It's a good trend, but at the same time, along with trends comes opportunities for people who might not have the best intentions at, at the forefront. And that's why it's so important to if you are searching for you know answers and things is you know finding a reliable source a reliable you know just a source in general and from what i from what i found and from what i've paid attention to when it comes to you you are one of the reliable sources so much so that you were named like a reliable source uh by by what many would consider a reliable source so i you know i want to make sure that that thread stays there so that you know everybody kind of understands like okay yeah black enterprise named you uh one one of seven black millennial financial experts to follow on instagram now like i said this has been kind this has been quite trendy so there are way more than seven people that are you know at the top of different kind of you know podcasting charts and things of that nature but black enterprise which is a reliable source especially in our community named you one of seven um when you when you got the news i guess that you were that you were you know one of seven um what was that validation like for you or was it something that you even needed or was it just something like you know finally somebody's recognizing that i'm not one of the many in the crowd um, I think it's always a great thing to be recognized, especially being recognized in your community as a go-to expert or a go-to person. So that really like warms my heart. Um, and I, I mean, I think that's really what it is. I mean, a lot of people are like, yo, you recognize my black enterprise. I'm like, yeah, I'm in, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm shoot, I'm just as surprised as y'all are. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not in a, in a bad way, but just like, yeah. okay. I've been seen in these streets and people think like, you know, hey, what she has to say is good. It's relatable. 
it's it's um it's good it's relatable and she really does care that's what it seems like to me that's what it came across to me I love it because it, it also gives a stamp of authenticity and it goes beyond the blue check that everybody, you know, wants, everybody wants verification, but you know, authenticity check is always, it's what, it's something that like I look for. It's like, okay, you got the blue check, but how reliable are you? And looking at what you got going on, it's, it's very reliable. So I want to take, I want to go backwards a little bit and further, further help people understand how qualified you are in, the, in these realms. Uh, 2008, mm-hmm. you were working for a very, very large uh, financial firm. I won't say the name. You can if you want to, but everybody knows this firm, you know. Um, and you were you were a licensed uh, stockbroker and fi- uh, investment advisor. Mm-hmm. What happened next? <laughs> because, like I said. I, I mentioned that you are Esquire. You are a lawyer. You're a practicing attorney at this point. You were at, you were before that licensed stockbroker and financial advisor. 2008, what happened? So, if you don't mind, if I can take it back to 2007 and Go then so 2007, life was really good on the street. Um, we were having steak dinners. You know, you that's how I learned about steak. I didn't really. I wasn't a really. I was a before 2007, I was, I should say 2006, 2007, I was a well-done steak person. Oh. Um, you know, I was like, oh, I was like, what's that on my plate, though? Oh, no. So <laughs> you know, when, you, when you when in Rome, you do it to Romans, and you actually learn, yeah. like, oh, it's I don't have to chew it forever. Oh, oh, okay. That palate oh, getting okay. refined. I get it now. So, uh, so life was good on the street. Steak dinners, you know, I, and interesting enough, like I got a black car from Jersey city to Philadelphia. Uh-huh. Uh, this like how good things were, but we started to see like little, little cracks in, in the, in the, the industry. We had kind of a little blow up in February with auction rate securities. That's not even important right now, but it basically blew up. And so I was working on that in 2000, in like February of 08. And then um, September, so things started to fall down. It was kind of, it was starting like dominoes. Mm-hmm. It was like, bank here fell. Oh, okay, a bank fell down? Like, fell down? Like, they're not opening again? Right. And then another bank fell down. And this is like maybe summer of 08. And we, it was like smaller banks in California. And we're just like, oh, that California again. Mm-hmm. Don't know what they're doing over there. And then I want to say September of 08, right before the market crash, um, it was, uh, oh my goodness, it was one of our bound houses. I often can't even remember their name. But one of our bound houses is one of the, the bond portfolios that we ran. Um, they went out of business. Uh-huh. And we were like, oh, something's really wrong. Like something is wrong here. So that was 2008. And then in March of 2009, I was laid off. And so I was already going to law school. So um, okay. because I worked in high net worth advising, I was always having conversations. Well, a lot of our high net worth clients were actually trust. So I was always having a conversation with the trust department. And so, you know, we would come up with these like amazing allocations. You know, you you just put the little, little, little razzle dazzle on the allocation. You just knew that this was it. Right. And they were like, we can't do that. I was like, excuse, excuse me, but what do you mean? And they was like, oh, oh, uh, Courtney, if you look on page 25 of the trust document, it specifically says no blah, blah, blahs. Uh-huh. And if you look at your allocation on the 10th page, 
there says that there's a caveat that this particular thing may invest in blah, blah, blah. So we can't have it there. And so we would have to work with the trust department. And then we're also like, one, why didn't we get this document a long time ago? Mm -hmm. um, but two, they ultimately had the final say and they were all attorneys. So I was like, and I've always wanted to be an attorney since I was five, but once I got into finance, it was kind of like, I got it off the beaten path, but it mm -hmm. clearly, we look at hindsight is twenty twenty because everything was setting it up for this. So I was like, these doggone attorneys, they're going to tell me like what I'm doing and what my allocation should look like based on a little trust document. And then we will start talking. And I was like, this is fascinating. So I was already planning to go to law school. I was going to go part-time. And then when I got laid off, I'm like, part-time for what? So I went full-time to law school in 2009. <laughs> and after you got your Jewish doctorate, mm -hmm. you went back again and got, this is, this is my first time hearing of this. So LLM. So yes, people, I went and did my research on what an LLM is. It's a master of laws, which... If you ask me what a lawyer is, because a lawyer's, you know, up there with like a PhD, it's that level. So, I mean, you've got a master somewhere in between there. So there's another thing called a master's of laws and you got yours in taxation and you also mm -hmm. got a, a certificate in estate planning. Mm -hmm. So now your law is tied in with your finance. Yeah. And now we have the Ivy investor where... I, w I guess I have to consider it like the one place that you can go and start from the beginning to the end in terms of, you know, starting on the journey to create generational wealth, financial freedom, financial literacy, where it's you've got your your classes that you teach people, you know, all of the different investment strategies uh, and and alternative investments and, you know, where to look, what to look for, how to be smart about it. And also you still practice law and this is what you practice law in is real estate planning, taxation, like how did you and do you, because it's an ongoing thing, how did you and do you figure out the pathway to, to take all of these things, which I, I can only assume that you're passionate about in terms, you know, especially in terms of financial literacy and education in our community with your law with estate planning and just mesh it all together into this, this, I don't even know what to call it, like this, this palatable format that you do, because a lot of what you put out, especially in your social media is easy to read, easy to understand, straightforward. It's not full of jargon, but you're an attorney. Y'all use a lot of jargon. So how did, how do how do you, how do you do, how do you do that? Um, so I think how do like, how do I put it all together is that I, think about there's three wealth buckets. You have wealth creation, which is you making money. And a lot of people spend all their time focusing on making money. But you have the other two, which is wealth retention and wealth, um, wealth transfer. So when I say wealth re retention, it's about understanding the tax law, understanding how to, um, how what's called tax avoidance and not tax evasion. Mm -hmm. Tax avoidance is fine. Tax evasion is what got Laura, Lauren, Lauren Hill and Wesley Snipes. That's mm -hmm. what's over there. And actually, um, so I, I, I always share that too. So there's a difference. So understanding like, hey, out of all these tax laws and all the things that I'm doing, how can I get a benef benefit from the government from doing something I normally do? Or can I ratchet up a little bit to get a benefit? So sometimes 
people are not expo exploiting all the tax laws that are available to them as an everyday person. They're not maxing out their 401k. They're not doing kind of just basic, simple things. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that sometimes there's some other things that are available, like a mega Roth, um, you know, really kind of rocking out with the Roth provisions of the tax code. Or, I mean, there's this whole thing that people like want to jet. And apparently there's some strange things in the tax code that you can use, but understanding like, how can I best retain my wealth? There's a lot of people, I think like Mitt Romney was saying his effective tax rate was 10%. How baby? Right. But again, really the, the real answer is, is that he, he uses the tax code to his benefit. So that being said, that's your wealth retention. It's about retaining as much money as you possibly can by making sure that you're exploiting the tax code that applies to your business and your way of life the best. And then you have wealth transfer, which is the estate planning and the estate administration. So it's kind of saying, hey, you have you've amassed this wealth, you've retained it, you, you really maximize the tax code, but how do we effectively and efficiently transfer it to the next generation? How do we like, so in Philly, there's a, um, the Pew Foundation. The Pews are very wealthy family and they have a whole foundation that, <laughs> that, you know, pretty much does their mission and does their bidding well after a hundred years after the first bit of Pews are dead. So it's kind of, you know, that's kind of the ultimate, the ultimate estate planning right up there. But even like everyday people, just making sure that the property that you have is going to go to the right people. It's going to go to the people that it should go to. You know, if you have a whole bunch of assets, making sure that it's going the right place, but also not making sure that the state is not going to tell your family who gets what. Because if you right. don't plan, don't have a will, the state's going to tell your family, like, well, no, you're going to split this 50-50. And you may want 75, you know, 75-25 for whatever reason, but the state says no, because you did not tell the state, tell the world through a will. And that's just like the bare minimum of what mm -hmm. you want. So all of those things fit together. I can talk about, you know, doing stocks or, you know, understanding cryptocurrency and wealth creation. I can talk about tax strategies and wealth retention. And I have my, my love. I can always talk about, you know, wealth transfer in estate planning. So it's all those things together. And I kind of just stick it in buckets because it makes it easy. But once I tell people about it, they're like, oh, that makes sense. I've been so stuck on trying to make money that I haven't really thought about the other ones, but it all works together. And I think one of the, the things that some of us have gotten wrong, especially that, we, that we've seen during COVID, is that no day is promised. Uh -huh. So you have to plan for the end just as much as you're planning for tomorrow. Because they and, may be the same. And something that uh, I've been kind of, pushing on my on my own is is letting people know i think we have a we have obviously there's a sense of urgency but to the point where you know like we like you said we just focus on just making money make money make money make money and especially with crypto now all of these uh new alternative investments and people are like i don't want to miss out but i've had to like put in perspective for myself and for others it's like the ira and the 401k are like staples in terms of long-term income, not even wealth, but just income. And those were not even a thing before like 1960. So, you know, they're less than a hundred years old. Our grandparents like literally have never heard, probably never heard of a 401k. And so it's not that we're late. It's just 
even those things that we think are kind of like staples are are relatively new. Um, so in terms of that, uh, especially like we, you know, like you said, you you can tell teach people about the cryptos and IRAs and the different and through your through your classes um, and your seven streams of income and helping people to understand which one is most important and understanding that you know what may be important for me may not be important for you like how do you you know what how do you go about doing that um you gotta run your, your own race i think what i've seen on social media is that everybody wants to do what somebody else is doing but in doing what somebody else is doing you may be missing the opportunity for you to be the greatest you and so a lot of people are like well i'm gonna go after real estate investing but you may not like real estate, but you feel like you may have to do it because everybody else is doing it. But you really may love stocks. You may really love having a business or something like that. There's always something for you. And the most successful people focus on one or two things and then they diversify out. But what I've noticed is that everybody wants to kind of put all of their energies in seven buckets and they're wondering why none of them are getting full. Mm. Mm. It's, it's weird because every single time we have these conversations with people, that's one of the common threads is everybody, you know, we, we always say ours, our thing that we say to each other is comparison is the thief of joy. And we just added the other day, it's like, unless you're comparing yourself to yourself, it's like, oh, you know, where was I fit five years ago? And where am I now? Have I made progress? Great. I'm doing good. I'm doing great. Let's keep making progress. But as, as soon as you, like you said, take your eyes off of your race or your path, and try to focus on, not even focus, just put attention on somebody else and like, oh, they're doing this, maybe I need to do it too. And you, like you said, you miss out on what actually is for you. Um, so for someone who is just now waking up to the idea of let me, so first let me let me put it like this, because this is something else that people, everybody always thinks of self. And a lot of our financial aspirations are based off self, unless you have, you know, a family and things of that nature, like children and you like, well, you know, I don't want to leave my kids in debt. And that's a basic, you know, starting point. But a lot of people's aspirations come from self. And it's like to get to that third bucket of I want to retain wealth in order to transfer it, um, getting out of that mindset of, all right, I'm I'm creating for myself or I'm creating for people that I don't even know, maybe not even exist yet. I'm creating for my great grandchildren who I don't even know if they will exist. Where do you, where is that, that one central place that you, you know, you, you would advise or, you know, not advise. I don't want to use that word because I want to, <laughs> I got to put the disclaimer. Where would you suggest that people start? Where's that starting point? So interesting enough, I kind of, I, I agree with you that we focus on self, but I think we need to focus on self in a very specific way. So I tell you to put the, the you know, when, when you're on the plane, they tell you, put your mask on yourself before you put it on others. And I feel like that's something that we should do because what I have noticed is that I have a lot of people that give, 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 give. And then mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, where's your emergency fund? Mm -hmm. Silence. So the way that you're able to help and kind of build for, for a lifetime and for a legacy is that you you create the good foundation. You lay the good bricks. The good bricks is emergency fund. And I think, I hope people during COVID were like, you know, I really need that emergency fund. Um, and, and, you know, there are some people that say you only need a thousand dollars. I definitely think it's probably two as like a bit, like that's your zero to get mm -hmm. to that zero. 
And then from there saying, okay, what are my three months of expenses? Like how do I make sure that my lights stay on, my heat stays on, there's food in my refrigerator and you know my house doesn't go into foreclosure or whatever. Like how do I make sure that I can live and sustain for three months at least? So that's kind of like, that's your next brick. Um, in terms of protection, I'm very big about people who, if you have a apartment or you have a home, you have to get homeowners or renters insurance. And, and again, it's just about protection. And it's so, it's not really that much mm-hmm. in terms of like what you'll be spending. But once you have kind of your protection that you, you at least can maintain what you currently have. So that's your emergency fund. And that's basically your basic insurances. Now, I'm also like, you need to have life insurance because again, this is not promised. Um, and then, but people are like, oh, you know, do you do whole, do you do term? So whole is for your whole life. And it is kind of expensive. And then you have term, which is cheaper, but it's for a term or for a period of time. I tell people for the most part, you just mix it up. Your term, and this is not advice, but for generally for your term, you have like your mortgage. You know, if you have private student loan debt, if you have credit cards, you have your car. Like if something were to happen to you tomorrow, this covers all your debts. And then you have your whole, which is basically enough to kind of put you in the ground because you're going to go or wherever you're going to do. Um, you're, going to, you're going to go at some point. So the cost of your burial. But then on top of that, you know, a little bit of money for a little bit of, of leeway. So, you know, not a huge policy because those are, like I said, it's expensive because you have one, you have the term policy is if you're, are you going to, if you're going to die during this time period, the insurance company is betting that you will not die during this time period. And you're betting, well, if I, I hope I don't die during this time period, but But if I do, do, this is taken care of, this is my pot. So the same thing, but it's different with whole, whole is a question of when, you know, when is it going to pay out? Not if. So. There's, there's a definite certainty there. So those are like the big things of having the insurances together. And that's like that foundation. But the next thing is I tell people, um, I'm a big fan of investing in what you have. So putting money in a 401k or a 403b or a 457 or a TSP, whatever um, employment account you have. But then you have something for yourself that if you decide that you want to go buy an island in, you know, in the Caribbean, you know, little that you can do that and nobody's worrying about your penalty because you're not the age of 59 and a half yet. Right. So again, you have what's called a brokerage account and that's where you kind of do your, your fund investing. So I, I think those are the things that I like to see people get started with. And then also education and education from like reputable sources. I mean, and YouTube is cool, but I've seen some interesting things on YouTube and I'm like, that's that math ain't mathing. Right. That, that ain't it. So, yeah. Again, my new thing is my new thing is seeing like the the side by side videos where you know somebody like yourself who is qualified in 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 in, in their subject matter and they do the side by side video and somebody's like yeah you know go do this and do this and the other person's like that's right that's right yeah don't do that part because no that is not how any of that works <laughs> so I, that's that's my new thing is seeing that you know kind of you know with, like we said this this trendy so it's it's room for people to be debunked at this point, but it's like how many people listened to this, took it to heart and went out there and did it. Like we see in crypto, people go buy meme coins and then it gets pumped and dumped. And now they sitting there like, Oh, and it's like, I'm asking people now. I'm like, did you read the white papers? And they're like, what's that? I'm like, every crypto has white paper. At least go read that. Find out what its purpose is because the meme coins will literally tell you in the white paper, we have no purpose. So 
I mean, if you if you want to give money away like that, here's my cash out. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I, you know, I love that you shared about the white papers. Like when I say the white paper papers, people are like, "What? Like the white pages? No, no, no. <laughs> Old school phone book. <laughs> Those, but no. So yeah, it's, it's always look at the white paper because they'll say, "Well, we started this as a joke, so I'm going to throw my money after a joke." Right. I mean, I could go lots of places to throw money away and have a lot more fun doing it. Yeah. If I, throw my money at a, if I throw my money at a joke, I'm going to a comedy show. That's 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 me throwing money at a joke, but not not in term not in hopes of getting money back. That I can't see it. Yeah, and I mean, and, it, and the thing is that I think what makes it so frustrating, it's not frustrating, but it's kind of people are like, see, this other person over there, they made a lot of money. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm not telling you that that doesn't happen, but more likely than not, somebody is going to get stuck holding the bag. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be you. Exactly. That's why I'm, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, there are sources like you. So I'm going to take it and flip this, flip this, on its head, because the last question I want to ask you is, why? Why did you? Why did you? Why did you follow your pathway to this point to do this? Because, you know, the financial financial uh, when you started licensed stockbroker and, and investment advisor, you got laid off. Uh, but as we know, things bounced back. You could have easily just you know went back still did your law part-time or you could have got your law degree and just you know went straight full-time law why the ivy investor so um when i started in the industry in 2003 i think i was one of the very few people of color that i even knew that um women of color actually that even had a a stockbroker's license that i even knew um, and when I knew when I was going in places, I was going to conferences, it was just me. And there might've been another brother somewhere in the mix, but that was pretty much it. So, but one of the things is that, you know, you're pretty much as a financial advisor, you're a salesperson. So when I was selling people stuff, what I noticed is that people that looked like me did not have the requisite knowledge to even discern what I was telling them was right or wrong. And I just, in good conscience, couldn't continue on that path because what I knew I needed to do was educate. Uh-huh. But I couldn't educate in that capacity because that's not what I would, what I needed to do to get myself paid. Right. It don't. It don't, was, hit, it don't. It don't hit the bottom line like they wanted. Right. And I was like, "Wow, this is not cool." And so that was always in my head always a thought of mine to say hey like something um it it really oops so it it really in my head said something something is not right so that was always floating in the background so I worked um at American Express Financial Advisors it was now Ameriprise then I went to banking and I did like a hybrid banking investing role then I went to my my final investment employer so as I was always there, I was just like, yeah, as I was learning more, I thought a couple of things. People, everyday people can do the strategies that I'm doing, but they just can't do it on such a big scale. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that in my head. So I was like, I need to educate uh, people. We need education. No one ever teaches this in any meaningful way anywhere. And then I said, but some of the stuff I'm doing for these million dollar portfolios, you can do in a a smaller portfolio. It's not going to be as big, but you can do it and build it. It's like, huh? 
So I kind of thought that to myself. And then as I got into law, then I really started understanding the historical background of the United States and the, the issues of race and law in a way that made me go, wait a second. So y'all set this up that we would never be successful because of redlining, because of the war on drugs, because of so many different things that kind of really sucked at our wealth. So I was like, that's not right either. So as I become became more educated, I said, you know what? And then my friends started calling me. So I, I went to, so I actually, when I first got out of law school, I was an oil and gas attorney. So I just wrote title, uh, real estate titles all day. And between my, and mine was the most boring thing you could ever think of. <laughs> Just ever, just type, you know, by D dated on XYZ day and recorded on XYZ day, then Bob conveyed XYZ interest to so-and-so. That's what I did all day, literally. Just, that's what I did. And so I was like, this is terrible. So, but in the interim, my friends are now transitioning out of their jobs. They're like, hey, I have a kid. I'm about to leave my job. What do I do with my 401k? And I'm like, and I was trying to, to tell them like, okay, like let, I want you to make your own decisions, but it was getting to a point, I'm like, I can't even get you to the point for you to make a decision because you don't understand the background. Mm. And so I was like, okay, so how do we do this? So that's when I started writing the blog. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this blog because y'all are all asking me the same question and you send it to your friends. Y'all come back, you read it and you come back so we can make a decision from after you get the basics. So that's pretty much where everything kind of started, but that's more or less my why. My why was really getting to a point where people were educated enough to make good decisions, financial decisions about their personal situation, because it's very much can be done, but we just didn't have the tools to do it. And every time we were having conversations about money, someone was always selling us something. So, you know, when we're going to a, a used car salesman, and they said, oh, you know, this car, this car is beautiful. Isn't it beautiful? Look at it. It's cherry red. And you look at it. Look at them wheels. Look at those, you know, da, 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 and you go through it. And then you're like, well, wait a second. This one is, this one is four wheels, but there's only three. You automatically know something's wrong with the car. Right. Because the basic function of the car, the basic premise of the car is to go. And it can't go with three wheels. But if I give you the same thing on the financial side, you can't discern if the product has three or four wheels. And that's what I felt was a real big problem for us because I felt like we were always being exploited. Everybody wanted our dollar, but they didn't want to make sure that we were able to grow our dollars. I'm grateful for people like you who come from the financial realm and really see what they see when they're in there and decide, you know, once they're out or, you know, or even while they're in there, it's like, I'm going to work while I'm in here. And, you know, you know, kind of like that. I'm not supposed to tell you this, but nah. But <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful and grateful for people like you uh, who, who do choose to do this because it's not easy. Uh, and, you know, we've had a couple other people who come on and talk, talk, you know, financial uh, education and have been in the financial realm. Our co-host, Dr. Loving, he's a Ph.D. in financial planning. And he's the first black man, PhD in financial planning, certified financial planner. Wells uh, used to work for Lincoln Financial, uh, works for investment company now. And he, you know, they talk to banks now and they're talking to banks now on how to properly talk to us, people of color, to and, and going about it the right way with good intentions, not just like, oh, how we talk to 
there's a there's a documentary I think in the sixties or seventies how to sell the Negro. Y'all go watch it if you ever if you ever got a chance. They literally you know created a whole video on how to sell to us with the intent of just taking our money, like you just said. But um, where can uh, the good people find you and all of your content? Because you are one of the voices who not only Black Enterprise, but I also say we should listen to. So you can always find me on Instagram um, under the Ivy Investor. I will say as of January 1, the name is changing. You can still find me. Um, but you can always find me on my my website, www.theivyinvestor. Um, I'm also on YouTube, The Ivy Investor. I'm also on Facebook, The Ivy Investor. I'm pretty much around. Um, like I said, my name is going to change as of January um, well, we're kind of just rolling out everything, getting it together, but you can still, if you look me up, you'll still be able to find it. Yeah, you're very, you're very visible. You're very visible. I did have to do some digging at, you know, to find the little, the little gems of information about you, but yeah, you, you're, you're very visible. If you, you type in the Ivy Investor, Google already knows people. So, but I will place all the links in the description. Um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know it is very valuable, especially, uh, with the many hats that you currently wear. Uh, so they definitely appreciate your time. It does not go uh, unnoticed. It's, it's, it's greatly appreciated. Um, so I always invite you back to uh, to have more conversations because we, we could touch on so many subjects. And obviously with the financial realm, things are constantly evolving. So continue education, like you said, is a thing. Um, so anybody who is listening, uh, like I said, the IvyInvestor.com, she has classes. Um, COVID is, if, you know, everybody does what they're supposed to do, COVID, the events will uh, more than likely start back up to to a diff, uh, to, to, a, to a greater pace where you'll be able to uh, see you in person. But until then, uh, keep up with her on social media so you can be abreast of all of the information that she's dropping. Like I said, uh, myself and Black Enterprise have deemed her a very reputable source when it comes to uh, financial education. So thank you so much, uh, Ms. Courtney Richardson. Jewish Doctorate, LLM, Attorney Richardson, board member of PICA, <laughs> and all <laughs> things financial wealth. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Remember, y'all, we love y'all, and there's nothing you can do about it. Peace. <laughs>